Please be seated. Those of you that were here this morning, I replaced the battery that was going out, so y'all may have had some hope, but there is no hope. I've got a Duracell, so we're good to go. You know, the Apostle Paul, I'm convinced, if, if he were alive today, his favorite television station, well, first of all, he'd be old, that's right. He'd be old if he were alive today. But his favorite television station would be ESPN. And I believe that his favorite show would be Sports Center. And I believe that because often in his writings, he uses athletic analogies in comparing the Christian life and the Christian walk. How many times does Paul use the analogy of a race? Uh, we're familiar with that. At the end of his life, he says, I have finished. I fought the good fight. I finished the race, you know. Uh, and then in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and if you want to turn there, that's where we'll be here in just a minute. He uses that race analogy also. Now, those of you that have been here long enough know that I often use athletic analogies in my lessons as well. And I like athletics also. I'm not a race person, I'll tell you, to be honest with you. Now, sorry, guys, and you know, those of you who, who are race people. Uh, I, when I was in junior high, I was, this will shock you, but I was pretty fast when I was in junior high, but not fast enough. Not fast enough to make the relay teams, not fast enough to run the 100 or the 220 back in the day. Uh, you know, not fast enough to, to run those. So the coach, and of course I was this big around, you know, that will shock you also. Uh, and so the coach, you know, and I really wanted to be on the track team. And so the coach decided, well, the first thing he tried to have me do is pole vault. Cause I saw pole vaulting and I thought that looked cool. You know, that looked really neat. Well, back in those days, pole vault poles did not bend like pole vault poles bend today. And if you know anything about pole vault, there's a, there's a weight thing on the, you know, this is for people who weigh this much, this is for people who weigh this much, and so on. Well, I weighed 127 pounds in junior high. I weighed 127 pounds when I got married, just so you'll know. I was married two years before I got to buy pants in the adult section at JCPenney's. You know, I was still married and we were buying pants in the kids section. But anyway, the only pole that they had was like for people who weighed 220 pounds. And so the coach showed me the grip and how to do it all and hold it and, and run down the track and, you know, put it in the little thingy there, whatever that thing is called. Yeah, the other box, sure. And so I do that and I put it in there, you know, and it's supposed to bend and kind of shoot you over. Yeah, there was no bending. It just kind of stuck. And then I went flying into the mat, you know. If there was an under the bar pole vault, I was pretty good at that. And so then he decided, you know, that obviously was not going to work. And so he decided looking at me, at my stature and everything, he said, you know, you would be a really good long distance runner. And I said, nope. 
I'm not running anything where you have to count. If you have to count laps, I'm not doing it because I'm not running that far. And so that was pretty much the end of my track career. But I think there are a lot of reasons that athletics does tie into our Christian walk. And one is, is that we are in essentially a competition. And in like most competitions, there is an enemy. There is an opponent. Satan is a very real enemy. Satan is a very real opponent. And he is out there to win our souls. To win our lives. To get us to turn against God. And in his mind, if he can win, that is the greatest thing that he has going for him. Now, in Corinth, where Paul writes this, they would have been very familiar with the racing reference that he's going to to talk about. They were familiar with the ancient Olympic Games. They would have also been familiar. They had their own, and I'm never going to pronounce this correctly, their own Isthmian Games. Corinth was, you know, on a little isthmus, and they would have their own Isthmian Games there, and it was, you know, pretty, pretty important to them. And so this analogy would have been something that they would remember. So look at verse 24 through 27. Paul writes, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So I was thinking about the different ways that running this race applies to our Christian walk and our Christian life. And the first thing we need to realize is that the Christian race takes discipline. Paul says that it takes discipline to be an athlete. He says, run in such a way to win the prize. Herm Edwards, that some of you know, was a coach, and now he's been on TV, and now he's actually going back to coaching in college. But anyway, at one point in time when he was coaching, he was at a press conference, he says, you play to win the game. You run to win the prize. And that is true in our Christian life. We have to have the discipline to do that. He talked about going into strict training. He talked about beating his body. And I don't think he was talking physically. I think he was talking figuratively. Being successful at life in anything requires discipline. Whether it be academics, you got to make yourself study. Whether it's business, you have to be disciplined. Whether it's politics, whether it's parenting, and especially in athletics. If you're going to be successful in athletics, you have to be disciplined. My problem is, 
I am disciplined in the things I like to be disciplined in. I'm not disciplined in the things that I don't like to be disciplined in. In other words, for example, I went to the doctor, had my annual checkup a couple weeks ago. Not good. Doctor was not happy. He said, you got to make some changes in your life. You got to start watching what you eat. You got to start exercising more. You got to start doing all these different things. But I don't want to. I like eating what I eat. I don't want to eat free stuff. I don't want to eat stuff that's not fattening. I don't want to eat stuff that's not fried. I don't want to eat baked chicken. What a waste of a good bird. Batter that puppy up and fry it. Don't throw a little lemon pepper and some salt and pepper and throw it in the oven and tell me that's chicken. It's just not. And so I'm not very disciplined in the things that I don't want to be disciplined in. And we'll kind of get to the why of that here a little later as we go along. It takes discipline to make ourselves better and stronger. Same in our Christian life. It takes discipline to say no to the things around us that weaken us. It takes discipline to say no to the people around us who want to get us involved in activities that we know are going to be detrimental to our spiritual health. It takes discipline to do the things that will make us better Christians. It takes discipline to have a positive prayer life. It takes discipline to study the Bible and apply it to our lives. It takes discipline to come to worship and be a part of the church family as we worship together. It takes discipline to have fellowship with each other. It takes discipline to encourage one another. All these things takes discipline. It takes discipline to learn right from wrong. In Hebrews chapter five and verse 14, the writer speaks of those who have, quote, trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. I ask the kids this question sometimes, and by now they know it's a setup. You know, I said, is your conscience always a good guide? You know, Jiminy Cricket, Jiminy Cricket, always let your conscience be your guide. Is your conscience always a good guide? And at first, they're like, yeah. Now they know I'm trapping them. Now they know, mm, no, mm. Your conscience is only as good as how you have trained your conscience. We have to train ourselves. We have to be disciplined enough to determine and know the difference between right and wrong. And that goes back to being disciplined enough to study God's word so that we'll know the difference between right and wrong. And it also takes discipline to finish the race. You know what? Anyone can start a race. But not everybody can finish the race. You know, they're in, in, in track, especially in, in big meets and things like that. They'll have sometimes in the long distance races what's called a rabbit. And the rabbit's sole purpose is to jump out to a big lead and set a fast pace 
for the racers that are behind him or her. He has no intention of finishing the race, probably. He certainly really doesn't have any intention of winning the race. He's out there for the purpose of simply setting the race up for the other racers. Well, that's a, I'm thinking to myself, if there's one job that I, I absolutely would not do, it's that job. If I'm going to run, I at least want a purpose. Or there better be something chasing me, you know. But to run so that others can run better, well, that doesn't make any sense. It takes discipline to finish the race. And it takes discipline to finish our Christian race as well. We must, with God's help, instill in ourselves the discipline it takes to run the race. Secondly, we must know what the goal is. Any athlete that competes need to know what the goal he or she is working towards. I was thinking about that a little bit yesterday as we were ice skating. It has been quite a while since I've been ice skating. And so, you know, you put the skates on and you look like an idiot trying to walk out there. And then you've got to go from the safety of the carpet to the ice. Kind of a scary thing. And so, yes, I will admit, when I started, I got out there and I held on to the rail and then got a little, you know, bolder. And then, you know, like I said, I was an Olympic skater, you know, going around. But I was out there at one point thinking, why? Why am I doing this? I'm with ice skating. A lot of you are, are maybe water skiers. To me, ice skating and water skiing are kind of the same thing for me. I can do both. I can water ski. But every time I get up on the skis, I think to myself, why? Why am I here? Because I know that it is always going to end badly for me. Because although I can get up on skis and I can ski and I can go in and out of the wake, I can do all of that. The one thing I have not learned to do is stop. I don't know how to stop. So either I'm going to crash or either I'm just going to let go of the rope and that doesn't end well for me either because somehow I normally end up going, you know, forward. There's no goal there. When the one time that I went snow skiing, I had kind of the same problem. I found out that I could get up on the skis and I could ski, but I could not stop. I tried the little pizza thing, you know, where you go like that. No, that doesn't work. And what I found out is the more I kept going like this, the faster gravity, something takes over. And the faster I started going. And so then I decided, okay, this little thing's not working. So I've seen them do the thing, you know, where they just quickly whoosh, you know, you know, and all the snow goes out there and they just kind of come to a dead stop. I thought, well, I'll try that. I can do that. 
And so I do, I do this, and unfortunately I go too far this way. And now I'm going backwards down the hill. So luckily the place that we went skiing had a lot of snow. It was Aspen, so there was lots of snow. And they, you know, they pile it up on the sides every night. The only way I knew to stop is when I decided I was going a little too fast, I just went crashing into the snowdrift. And skis were coming off, and I was upside down, and my whole family thought I was dead. They didn't know what was happening to me. But there was no goal there. There was no goal for me in snow skiing. There's no goal for me in water skiing. There's no goal for me, really. Although I take that back. Ice skating yesterday, I did have one goal. No broke hip. That's all I could think about. I looked around, would you say, those of you that were there, I looked around, I kind of think I may have been the oldest person out there. Oh, they're, they're like, yeah, like by far. <laughs> okay. You know, and I'm thinking, you know, this is how people break hips. And, and so that was, that, that was my goal. Jim Marshall played for the Minnesota Vikings. One of the all-time bloopers in the NFL. He picks up a fumble and he runs all the way the wrong way to the wrong goal. And he throws the ball down. And he's so happy. And the look on his face when his teammate finally gets up to him and lets him know, you went the wrong way. I've told you before that my basketball career ended. I didn't, well, I was in junior high. I didn't get to play much. Finally got to play a little bit. And there was a, a jump ball. And back in those days, they didn't alternate possession. If, there, if it was a jump ball, it was a jump ball. And so my teammate goes up and he tips the ball and I get it and I'm right under the goal. So what do you do? You shoot. I mean, I never got the ball. I never got to shoot. So I shot and I made it. Unfortunately, we were at the other goal. That was our, that was our goal. Luckily, we didn't lose by two points. Yeah, we, we still won the game. But that was pretty much the end of my basketball career. We got to know what the goal is. And we got to work toward it. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. If I were to ask you, what is our goal as a Christian? What are we striving for? What is our goal? And if you said heaven, you're wrong. Well, you're just not quite right. I won't say that you're wrong. Heaven is the prize. The goal is purity in our lives. The goal is being Christ-like in our lives. That's the goal. The prize is heaven. But the goal is being better tomorrow than we were today. The goal is, is, is all these things we talked about out of 1 Peter. That's our goal. You see, if our goal is the prize, then we're probably not going to reach the prize. 
Because there's something in between. There's a step in there. We have to reach the goal. The goal in football is not to win the trophy. The goal is to score a touchdown. And then if you score more touchdowns than the other dude, then you win the prize. But the goal is to do these different things. And in our lives as Christians, our goal is not heaven. Heaven is the prize. Our goal is perfection. Our goal is holiness. Our goal is to be Christ-like. If we achieve our goal, we will win the prize, which is eternity in heaven. We may say, well, that's not possible. Holiness, purity, sanctification, righteousness. I don't know where y'all are in your study on the Sermon on the Mount, but if you haven't gotten there, you're going to get there where Jesus says, you know, be perfect even as your heavenly Father is perfect. And I think a lot of times we just kind of gloss over that. Well, you know, Jesus doesn't really expect us to be perfect and no one can be perfect. So, you know, that's our goal. That ought to be our goal. We may not achieve it, but we don't stop reaching for it. We may have setbacks along the way, but that's what we're aiming for. When God said, it's the same, is it not, in 1 Peter, when God said, be holy just as I am holy? Isn't that the same as be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect? Are we just to disregard those passages? That's the goal that God has laid out for us. We should be edging closer every minute, every hour, every day. Thirdly, we must value the prize. We must keep reminding ourselves and each other of the importance of the goal and the prize at the end that makes it all worthwhile. Have you ever gotten involved in something and soon realized that at least in your mind, the effort wasn't worth the prize at the end? The effort just wasn't worth it. When I was at Harding my last semester, I was taking 18 hours, or I had 18 hours, which nowadays is like, unheard of. But I decided, you know, Kenya's Cuban and and I'd really like to learn Spanish. So I decided I'm going to tack on another three hours because I really want to learn Spanish. So I'm taking 21 hours. It did not take long before I realized that the effort that was going to go into that was not worth the prize at the end. And I dropped Spanish. I started a lot of things that I thought I could really get into, that I thought I would really enjoy, that I thought would really be worth it. And somewhere during the way, I said, you know what? Mm -mm. This just isn't worth it. The discipline to finish something or not kind of shows how we value the prize at the end. I'll go back. I don't know, you know, I think this is true. I go back to my diet. And my lack of discipline to continue with the kind of diet that I should be on, the kind of exercise that I should be doing, 
Because I don't have the discipline to do that, that says something, does it not? About how I really feel about the prize at the end. It really kind of says, you know what? Now, I would never admit it. So don't tell anybody. You know, I would never admit that, you know, well, I don't care about being healthy. I just want to eat the fried chicken. But the fact that I eat the fried chicken kind of says that I really don't value the prize. When we are not disciplined in our Christian walk, when we are not disciplined enough to do the things that God wants us to do to make us better, to achieve our goals, it says something about whether or not we really value the prize at the end. Whether we really believe that the prize is there at the end. It may be that we don't have enough faith in God. Well, I know what it says and I know what he promises, but I'm not really sure about that. And so, or whatever, and so we waver in our discipline to do what God wants us to do. Wavers. Paul says that the runners compete for a crown that will eventually die, and we compete for an everlasting crown, our eternal home in heaven. Paul says that the trials and the tribulations and the disciplines we endure here are nothing compared to what waits for us in heaven. And we need to constantly remind ourselves of the prize as an inspiration to never give up. And fourthly, we can be disqualified. Paul understood that just as an athlete can be disqualified, so we can as Christians. We live in an era in athletics where whether it's performance enhancing drugs or, or, or whatever, that we've seen numerous athletes be disqualified from the prize that they would have received. I just noticed that this last week, I think it came out, that the International Olympic Committee disqualified the entire Russian Federation from the Winter Olympics. They said individual athletes can compete, but they will compete under a neutral flag. There will be no Russian team at the Olympics because of a systematic cheating that went on. I've seen athletes disqualified from a race because they just barely stepped over the lane line and disqualified. Paul said he's going to run the race with discipline so that when it comes to the end, he won't be disqualified. It amazes me personally that there are so many in our world who do not believe that we can be disqualified for the prize. Who do not believe that a Christian can turn their back on God and so disqualify them for the prize. If that's the case, why are there so many warnings in the New Testament. If you do this, then you'll get this. 
If you hold fast, if you remain faithful, if, 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 well, the if kind of makes it obvious that the if not is there, right? And the one thing that I've always said is just a little kind of common sense. If once we become a Christian, we cannot be disqualified. If once we become a Christian, the prize is guaranteed no matter how we live our lives, no matter what we do. Then why is Satan spending so much time on me? Why is he still after me? If it's a done deal with me, why does he keep on? Why does he keep after me? Because he knows in his mind there's still hope. I can still turn him around. I can still convince him to, to turn away from God. And I can get him. There's still a chance. There's still a hope. And that's why Satan continues to come after me all the time. Paul understood the danger, and we should as well. Compelling motivation to run the race by God's commands and God's rules and run to the end. We are in a race. He uses that analogy all the time. What's the, the other? In talking about our Christian life, what's the other biggest analogy Paul uses? Besides a race, it's a battle. Those two things he uses over and over again. It is a competition of epic proportions. It takes discipline to daily train ourselves for this race. We've got to keep focused on the goal, never forgetting the prize. And we must warn ourselves and each other of the possibility of having been disqualified. Now, there's one thing that's important here. To qualify for the prize, you have to enter the race. You have to enter the race. And I believe that the race begins when we turn our lives over to Christ. When we are faithful to Him, we confess our faith, we're buried with Him in baptism, we're raised to walk in the newness of life, we begin our race. Now, the one thing that is great about this race is that I am not in competition with you. You may run this race faster than me. You may get so far out ahead, I may not even be able to see you, but it's not a race to see who finishes first. It's a race to finish. You may finish ahead of me, but as long as I finish, and as long as I keep moving towards the goal, we all receive the prize. If you're here this evening and you're not a Christian, you never started that race, or if there's some way we can help or encourage you, we invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing.